Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Brave the weather, inside and outside. I don't know if you saw the fount of living water out there in the hallway or not, but um, got a little leak there. But uh, I'm glad you, you're here and uh, excited about uh, what we're going to talk about as always. But um, I want to invite you again, John mentioned at the beginning of the service, uh, I want to invite you to come back out tonight at 6 o'clock to join us for um, time of worship, a time of prayer. Um, it's, it's a really good time we, where we get together. We do, we worship God and we lift him up, but we also spend time praying uh, for each other, praying for the community, praying for churches, praying for the world. Um, and so I'd love for you to come back and be a part of that tonight at 6 o'clock. Um, it's, a, it's one of the most important things we do, and so I would really love for you to come be a part of that and, uh, and join us then. Um, today, we're going to continue, and I'm not going to go through all the slides today, um, but we're going to continue uh, talking and going in the same direction that we've been going in. Um, we've been talking about how God is building us into something. He's building us into a dwelling um, for himself. He's building us into his church, his body, his people to accomplish his purposes. And we've been looking at uh, what we're, we're calling this third foundation crack. It's this crack in, in the foundation of the church that uh, many times we don't hear a clear call to the body of Christ. We don't hear a clear call to the church and understand that when we are saved and we're baptized, we're not just baptized into Jesus, but we're also baptized into the church, his body. God has a purpose for us individually, yes, but that purpose is interwoven with the purpose of every other believer. We can't accomplish our purpose alone. We, we're called to do this together. And so we've been looking at that. We're going to continue doing that today. Um, little heads up, this will be the last um, message in this section of looking at a clear call to the body of Christ. Next week, we're going to spend some time kind of bringing all of it together, kind of recapping it. Um, I'm looking forward to that. I love those Sundays because it really helps to, to see how it all comes together and, and paints a picture, um, one picture for us. And so um, we'll be doing that next Sunday. Um, today, we're going to be mostly in two books of the Bible. We'll kind of flip back and forth. Those two books are Ephesians and Colossians. Uh, you start in the New Testament, and you go uh, to the right, you'll go through the Gospels, Acts, Romans, the Corinthians, Galatians, you'll come to Ephesians, then you'll just flip over a couple of books, you'll find Colossians. And so um, those are the two books we're going to be in. I want to start out reading um, from both of these books. Uh, the author of both of these books is Paul. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians is writing to the churches in and around Ephesus. Um, in Colossians, he's writing to the church of Colossae and uh, those around that area. And so when we're reading this, he's encouraging them um, and instructing them uh, in Christ and in the gospel, encouraging them to stand firm, reminding them of all God has done and all that God will do, the faithfulness of God, all of these things. And so let's begin reading in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read the first 10 verses. Then we're going to jump over to Colossians chapter 3. It says, as for you, he's speaking to this, these, this church, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires 
and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now let's flip over a few pages to Colossians chapter three. I wanna read from both. I want you to see that much of the language is very similar. In the New Testament, we see this, that what we're gonna talk about today is not something that's isolated to one place. It's throughout scripture. Um, And so let's keep reading. Colossians chapter three, verse one. Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you'll also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must... Also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God and to God the Father through him. Let's pray and then we'll get into this. Lord, I thank you for your word and your truth. I thank you for life that's given through Christ, Lord. We do come today to declare that the name of Jesus is beautiful, that the name of Jesus is wonderful, that the name of Jesus is powerful, that the work he's done in so many of our lives is beautiful, wonderful, powerful. And today we give you the praise and glory for that. As we just read, God, this is not of our own doings. We can't boast in this, but God, we boast in you. We boast in Jesus who made a way for us to come to you, the way, the truth, and the life. We know the power of Jesus' name, God. It's not something just to end a prayer with, but it's the authority to accomplish your purposes on earth. And right now, God, we, we recognize that it's 
only the name of Jesus by which men can be saved. We recognize that at the name of Jesus, every tongue uh, will confess, every knee will bow, that he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, God. That we, we come to you, God, and we thank you for the authority of Jesus that's been given to us to accomplish your purposes. Right now, in that name, Lord, in Jesus' name, we bind the enemy from this place, God. I pray right now that he would not be able to come and steal the seed, God, that's sown into our hearts today through your word of truth. God, help us to stand firm, God. Today that we be encouraged to stand firm. Today we be encouraged to lock arm in arm with others, God, that will stand firm with us. And that you transform us, God, into your people, the, the people you want us to be, God, growing us up to maturity, that we would be a spotless, blemishless bride. For Christ. We love you, Lord, and I thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we've been talking about different tensions in the church and how the, the kingdom of God moves one way, the world moves another, and, and we feel the tension of that. I'm not going to go back through all of those, but today I want to address another tension. And if you want to take notes and put this at the top of your paper, I guess this will sort of be the heading. Um, but today we're going to talk about this, this tension between autonomy and a transforming relationship. Autonomy and transforming relationships. Obviously, our relationship with God is the power for transformation, um, and, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But, but also, we need to have relationships with believers that are transformational. Um, the challenge is, guys, that we, we can't be living in autonomy, seeking our freedom, seeking our way, seeking what we want, and also have transformational relationships. The two don't go hand in hand. And we're going to see that today um, and, and talk through some of that. Uh, but here's the thing. If, if we look at where we are, and I want to go back to a couple of scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He tells us this, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. He says, you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you, and listen, this is, this is the part I really want you to hear. He says, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. He's saying in the ways you used to live. In other words, you used to function in this world system. You were very comfortable in this world system, in the ways of the world. You function this way. He says, this is how you used to live. Um, now, if you flip to Colossians again real quick, I told you we'd be flipping back and forth. Colossians chapter three, he says this in verse seven. Well, let's go at five. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Same thing that pretty much that Paul says in Ephesians two. He says here in Colossians three, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. He says, you used to walk in these things in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, and he goes on to list more things. And so what's he saying? He's saying, listen, you've got to come to a place of realizing that this is who you used to be, but now the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we become a new creation. This is what we now are. And so what we have to see is that although this is the way I used to live, this is what I used to be, now God calls us over here to be this, right? You remember us talking about Matthew chapter five the last few weeks where Jesus comes and, and he's teaching on how you live in the kingdom. And then he tells us that we're called to be salt in the earth and light in the 
world. We're called to be salt to change the flavor, to preserve. We're called to be salt, to be distinct from the world. He said, but if you lose your saltiness, what good are you? He tells us that we're light in the world, but if the light's hidden, what's its purpose? People in darkness can't find you if, if you're not lit up, right? And he's telling us we should be distinct. Paul writes in Philippians chapter two that we, we're like stars in the sky. You think about you go outside at night against that black um, canvas, the darkness of the sky. You see the stars illuminated. There's a distinct contrast. This is what he's talking about. But here's the thing. If this is the word, way we used to live, and now he's saying, but this is now who you are. If we're gonna live here, what has to happen from here to here? It's got to be change, right? There has to be change. If I'm not going to look like this anymore, we're not going to look like this anymore, and we're going to begin to live out this new life that we are in Christ, change has to happen. A distinction, listen, a distinction has to exist. A distinction has to exist. This new way of life has to exist. If change is gonna happen, then that means I have to be, fill in the blank. If I'm gonna change, then that, that means I have to be blank. I'll give you, uh, I'll give you a, a little hint. It's more than meets the eye. Autobots rage, their battle to destroy the evil. Y'all know where I'm going with this. Workings of the Decepticons. Anybody? What's that from? Transformers, only the old guys probably knew that, right? The old original Transformers, yeah. Yeah, we need to transform, we need to be changed. Change has to happen and we've gotta move from this to this. This is the distinction, this is showing Christ to the world, this is the difference that in the church and the world, that's where the tension begins. But there's gotta be transformation, there's gotta be change that takes place. So the next question then is, how does transformation happen? I wanna start out in the Old Testament and just read a few verses to you. Ezekiel chapter 36, this is where change begins. It was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years ago by the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24. He's speaking to the nation of Israel about what he will one day do. He says, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. They've been scattered, they've been taken off. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Listen to this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. There's another prophet that said uh, very, something very similar, Jeremiah in chapter 31. I want you to hear the way he wrote it. Um, we're gonna look at uh, verse 33. This is the covenant. This is God speaking through Jeremiah. He says, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. What's he saying? Basically the same thing as Ezekiel says. How does he put it in our minds? How does he write it on our hearts? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Now let's transition over into the New Testament. Go back to Ephesians chapter two. Let's read how Paul writes this. He's talking about how all of us in verse three also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. Flip back over to Colossians chapter three. Verse one, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I read those four passages because I want you to understand that, that where transformation begins is through a work of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. That when we come to faith in God, God, and we put our faith in Christ, we draw near to Christ, God opens our eyes to, to see who Jesus is. Our ears, we have ears to hear, we hear the gospel, and we begin to, to recognize who Christ is. Then we come to this place of faith in response to what Jesus has done. We put our trust, our belief, we put our life in him. He becomes our savior, he becomes our Lord. And it says when we come to that place of faith, God sends his Holy Spirit into us, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father, we've now become a child of God. Um, now we begin to worship God. Our heart is changed. We're given a new heart. He writes his decrees on our mind. He writes them on our heart. We no longer have this hard heart of stone that has been on rebellion against God, but now we have this heart of flesh that God has put his spirit in and given us a new heart. Now we're bent towards him. And that's where the transformation begins. It's the work of God from the very beginning. And I want you to see this though, that your transformation begins as a personal inward experience, but it does not remain only a personal and inward experience. We put a lot of emphasis in the church on um, personal devotion, and that is absolutely true. It's very important. We talk about one of the goals for us as a church is to come to a place of spiritual maturity where we can take responsibility for our relationship with God. We can read the Bible. We can understand Scripture. We pray. We understand how to walk with God. We understand how to teach others to do that. But I want you to understand that as important and big as that is, it's not the whole picture of how transformation happens. Transformation happens through our scripture reading, our prayer time, our worship, all of these things, but it cannot happen just with me. I cannot become who God wants me to be. Listen, I cannot grow into who I already am in Christ by myself. We're not created to do that. God didn't design us that way. When we look at God and we look at the Trinity, we see one God, three persons, hard to understand. I understand it, but if you could understand God, you'd be God, and we're not. But we look at them and they're in perfect relationship. Does it not make sense then that we were created in his image, we were created as relational beings, 
for us to become all that we were intended to be, we need relationship with each other and not just any relationship. They need to be deep, meaningful relationship with others who are going the same direction we're going. Relationships that are able to transform, relationships that God is working through his spirit in, relationships where truth is spoken into our lives. We need these kind of relationships in our life. We can't do this by ourselves. We hear in church a good bit a lot of times about community. It's not just gathering together. There's an intentionality of what community should accomplish. I want to talk to you about that today. The rest of the time that we have, I really want us to look at this. I want you to understand more of what a transformational relationship looks like. And this is something, guys, listen. This is something that every single person who confesses the name of Jesus, who is a follower of Christ, should be in. This is not something that's just for some Christians or the super Christian. This is something that every one of us should be a part of. And so I want to introduce you in just a second to a pyramid of what I would call a relational or a transforming relationship pyramid. And I want you to see how this builds. How many of you know, though, the importance of a strong foundation? How many builders in here you build? You know, the foundation's off. Everything else is going to be tough. When I was in the construction business, I never was a part of pouring the foundation or pouring the slab, but I came behind to work on top of what was messed up many times, and it was aggravating trying to get it right because it was off from the beginning. The foundation is extremely important. Um, how many of you went to the fair this week? Yeah. How many of you didn't go to the fair? You're blessed because of it, I can, I can guarantee you. So I thought I had gotten out of going to the fair. Show you how country I am. Um, I thought I had gotten out of it because I thought I had gotten my youngest one to choose something else. Um, this will show you kind of where we're at, but uh, he wanted some briar chaps. Pretty country. But my eight-year-old wanted some briar chaps. And so I said, I'll tell you what, Reed, and they were $20. I'm like, i tell you what, Reed, I will get you the briar chaps or you can go to the fair. We can't do both. I want briar chaps. I don't even like the fair. All right, $20. I'm thinking I saved probably at least 80 bucks right there. I'm like, and I do not have to go to the fair. I'm like, this is a win-win for sure. But then there's a such thing called grandparents that gave fair money. And so, end up at the fair. And I think Reed knew this. He's smarter than the average bear. And I think he knew this, that, hey, I'll end up getting there somehow. And Reed, anyway, like we get there and I don't think he ever even spent the fair money because Reed has this knack for people just giving him things. And so we get there, we haven't been there five minutes and a guy who goes to church here walks up, he goes, hey, I get these complimentary tickets, you want these? Gives them to him. He doesn't even, and then a few minutes later, um, Susan's cousin-in-law, I guess is what it is, walks up and hands him a ticket and says, if you go by the booth, uh, you can get a stamp on your hand with this ticket. You don't have to buy one. I'm like, what? What is it with this kid? 
and he's got this knack for doing this. It's like people just give him stuff. And, and, and he, um, we were at a softball game not long ago, and he comes up and he's got three Cokes in his hand. And he gives one to one of my sons, one to my nephew, and he's drinking one. And I'm like, where'd you get those, Reed? He's like, oh, they gave them to me. I said, well, why'd they give them to you? He said, I met the guy up there. I know him. I said, well, when'd you meet him? He said, today. <laughs> a few minutes later, he comes by. He's eating Dippin' Dots. I said, Reed, where'd you get the Dippin' Dots? He said, my friend. A few minutes later, he's got French fries. Didn't pay for any of it, which I have no problem with because we know where the money would have came from. But he just has this knack. We, we are at the Braves game not long ago, and we walk up there, and he, he just... I don't know what it is with people, but we walk up and we're about to get something to eat and all these different vendors were there. And so Reed is um, there and uh, my, me and my two oldest sons were standing there and, and Reed just takes off right by himself, walks up to the counter. He talks to this guy he's never seen before in his life. They have a little short conversation, fist bumps him, turns around, looks at us and goes. <laughs> Craziest thing I've ever seen. When we do get to the fair, he just walks on most rides. They don't even ask for tickets, hand stamp, nothing. So we end up at the fair anyway. And I'm like, well, I'm drawing the line. I'm not riding any rides. I'm gonna eat some pancakes and sausage, not riding any rides. So we get to the end of the night and Susan's like, just ride one ride. I was like, all right. We had, and here's the irony of it. We had just enough tickets for all of us to ride this one last ride. Um, and so... I end up getting on, and, and it happened to be the crazy mouse. Anybody see that one out there? And, and see, I'm starting to get on the ride, and we're walking up the little metal platform, and I'm not crazy about fair rides anyway. And I look over, and I see the foundation. Anybody else notice the foundation of the crazy mouse? It sits on like two-foot um, six-by-sixes stacked on top of each other. This thing that weighs tons is sitting on six by sixes just stacked on top of each other. And I'm like, well, here's my construction mine. I'm like, well, how'd they get it level? And I start looking and wherever it needed to come up just a little bit, they just stick a one by under there. Let's just get a smaller board. I can just see how this is being built out there, you know? And so anyway, we get on it. I'm thinking I'm dying the whole time and I'm like committing my spirit to the Lord and anyway, we survived, but, but it was really pretty crazy. Crazy mouse, but kind of because of how it was put together. And I say all that to say, man, the foundation, what's at the, 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 the bottom of it all is extremely important. We don't want to build on a bad foundation. We don't want something established on a bad foundation. We want it to be solid. We want it to be strong. And I want to show you this pyramid. And the first layer of this pyramid is extremely important. And the first layer is trust. We talked about this some on Sundays before, but if you're going to have any relationship, any healthy relationship, it's got to be established in trust. To go along with that, obviously, is love, right? We, we've got to have a true um, uh, love that exists between us, an ability to trust one another deeply, the challenge with trust is this, that trust takes a long time to build, but it can be destroyed really quickly. Trust is built by consistency of character over time, faithfulness over time. We begin to trust one another. But if we're going to have a transforming relationship, we need to begin with trust. And I'll tell you this, and I want to look at a couple of scriptures or a scripture 
in regard to this. But trust begins with trusting God. I can tell you this, if you're gonna, if you have trouble trusting people, I'd almost bet you, you have a hard time trusting God. For me, trust is an issue with people, but I find that I have to really battle against that same thing with God. As faithful as God's been throughout the years, there's something in me that wants to lean towards not trusting people or trusting God. But if we're gonna have a strong relationship with God, with each other, we have to have trust. If you think about um, Psalm or Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, we'll flip there real quick. You've heard this many, 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 many times. But it says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. And so we see this, that we're called to trust. If you go to the book of Hebrews real quick, Hebrews chapter 10, Paul writes this. He says, let us in verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. He says, hold on to the hope we profess. Hold on to the promises of God because he who has promised is faithful. You can trust him. He comes through every time. And so we have to see this trust. We've got to be able to grow in trusting relationships with one another. If we're gonna have a transformational relationship, if the church is gonna grow into who it's created to be, who God desires it to be, we've gotta be in these relationships that are founded on trust, that are founded on love, that are founded um, solidly on these things. I will say this. Some of us struggle trusting God because the only God we really know is the God of our experience, not the God of the Bible. Okay? Some of us, we struggle to trust God because the God we know is the God of our experience, not the God of the Bible. I would tell you this, you cannot look at a broken world and understand a perfect God. Okay? You cannot look at a broken world that was good and was very good when it was created, that has been marred, that is broken. You cannot look at a broken world and then interpret from brokenness something that's perfect. We have to get into scripture and see who he is. I would just encourage you, I've done this for a couple of people. Go read, um, as I've talked with them, but go read Mark, the gospel of Mark. Mark cuts to the chase. He gets right into it. Just read it, but, but, but don't get hung up on things you may not know. Just look at what Jesus says and what Jesus does because the Bible tells us if we can see who Jesus is, we can understand the Father. So we need to see that. The second level or layer is truth. It has to be truth. This has to exist. We have to share God's word and be one in the spirit, the spirit of God working through the word of God. Colossians 3, verses nine and 10. Paul says, do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self with it, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. How, how is our mind renewed? Through the truth of God's word, through truth. If you think about Ephesians chapter four, which we've read a hundred times the last few months, Paul tells us to speak the truth in love. Um, it's part of our maturing. A relationship has to be established in truth, has to be empowered by the spirit. The word of God is living and active because the spirit has empowered it in our lives. The third level of this then is honest conversation. If we can trust one another, we have truth and we're basing this relationship off of truth, then you and I can have honest conversation. 
I trust you. I know whatever you say is gonna be for my good. Um, So we can have honest conversations. We need to have honest conversations if this is going to happen. I have to think about, again, Ephesians 4, speaking truth in love, being honest with one another. I think about probably one of the most honest conversations I can think of in Scripture is when Paul confronts Peter because Peter won't eat with Gentiles. He's just withdrawn to the Jews. It's in Galatians chapter 2. And Paul tells us, he said, I confronted him to his face. It was an honest conversation. Peter, how can you, who's a Jew but don't live like a Jew, try to make the Gentiles live like a Jew? And so we see honest conversations are necessary. They're good. The fourth one, the next layer, mutual agreed upon goals. We gotta be going in the same direction. We gotta know what the goal in this is. In Colossians 1, 28 through 29, let's just read. It won't take but a second. Paul says this, Talking about Jesus, he says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing, what's that encouraging? And teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. What's he saying? This is the goal. This is what I'm after. If we as a church and we see scripture teaching this, that the goal is for us to grow to spiritual maturity, that the goal is that we get out of the dependency model so that we can accomplish the purpose of the church, to see all the earth filled with the glory of God, then we have, a, have mutual agreed upon goals. And we can say, yes, this is what I want. This is what I want to strive for. This is what I want to move towards is glorifying God in all the earth. I want to grow to maturity. I want to do my part in the body. I want to be used by God. Then we can have honest, mutual, agreed upon goals. And then we can finally get to the top, which is healthy accountability. And this is something every single one of us need is healthy accountability. The first word there is really important, healthy, because much of what the church has practiced has not been healthy. How many of you have ever been in an accountability relationship where you sit down every week and basically the conversation is this, you sin this week? Yeah. You sin this week? Yeah. Stop that. That's kind of how it goes. But I don't see that biblically as uh, what accountability is. It's, it's definitely dealing with and having the honest conversation. It's dealing with sin, but it's not focusing on the sin. It's encouraging one another to move beyond the sin to Christ. Let's go, let's get to the goal. Let's go to where where God's called us to be. Let's move closer to Jesus. This takes you away. This is from the old life. Grow into the new life. Keep pursuing, keep pushing. Let's go. I need that. Have you ever, ever got to this place where you knew like, I need change, I need change. Happened a lot in my my early life um, that I saw that. It happened to me about four or five weeks ago. Lord spoke to me in my heart. I just heard in my heart, I just feel like the Lord is speaking and saying, Brandon, and it wasn't with condemnation. It's like he said, Brandon, we've been really good work partners. You know, Jesus has shown me, God's shown me a lot of stuff over the last couple of years and, and we've implemented some things and we're moving in a good direction and things are starting to happen. We're seeing all kinds of great stuff happening. And it's like Jesus said, Brandon, we've been really good work partners. I've taught you a lot. You've carried out what I've given. You've done these things. It's, it's really good. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. I love you. I'm thankful for that. But, but listen, uh, what about me teaching you some stuff for you? 
What about us just being together? I realized it was a need for change. So I got some guys I meet with on Monday afternoon and I went to them and I said, listen, this is where I'm struggling. Everybody's being open and honest. We're having honest conversations. We trust each other. Um, We bring the truth into our relationships. I said, this is what I need. I need you every single week to hold me accountable to what did Jesus show you that was not about ministry? Hold me accountable to it. If you got to, hit me in the face with a two by four. But I wanna get there. I wanna achieve this goal. I wanna get to this place where my intimacy with God is greater, so hold me accountable. But many times we mess this up in the church. We, we don't think about Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, where he's talking about not forsaking gathering together, but he says the reason is to admonish, to encourage each other toward love and good deeds. I wanna show you, we got just a few minutes. I wanna show you a video that the guys here put together. And I think we can draw some really good things. How many of you watch basketball? You watch the March Madness, obviously in March. Yeah, and I don't really watch much basketball, but I, watch, I usually watch a lot of this. And so I want to show you this clip from a game that was, uh, Michigan State was playing in, and, and you'll get it. It's, um, it's pretty cool, so watch this. Animation here from Coach Tom Izzo. Well, to his freshman, Aaron Henry. You would think on a 10-0 run, Tom Izzo would be happy. Izzo now having words with the freshman, Henry who seems a little bit perplexed. And then this is still in that same huddle here. The little lunge there by Izzo. And you see the players getting between. Uh, Pat Worsey with the New York Times. Uh, Tom, at one point in the second half, you really got after Aaron Henry going into a timeout. Um, I'm just wondering, I mean, we saw what, what he did, but I'm just wondering why that made you so angry. You think there was one thing that would make me that angry? You don't know me very well. Um, there was a bunch of things, you know, and, you know, hey, he's playing a lot of minutes too. He's tired too. But when you're a freshman now at this time of year, you don't make um, mental mistakes on things that we're telling a guy which way he goes or not running back or, you know, there were some things Aaron didn't do a very good job of. And then, and yet, you know what, like I like happened. I did get after him, and he did respond, and he did make a couple big buckets, and he did make some big free throws. But that's not good enough. This is one and done time, you know? The my bads are out the window. If they're my bads because that team played better or that guy played better, if it's my bad because I decided to jog back instead of sprint back, then it is your bad, and you're going to hear about it. So that's what it was. Go ahead, sir. You got a question? Okay. Front row, left side. Hey, Tom, Jim Comperoni, SpartanMag.com. After the, the thing with Henry, you kind of knew you had to stick with him because you don't have much of a bench. And then the end of the game, you did you call to feed the ball into him when he went when it when the ball found him in the post? Did you go to him even though you challenged him because you knew you'd have to challenge him at some point, or you knew you'd have to go to him because that's who you had to play with? Tell me about the thought process going to him late. Yeah, we challenged him and we. We said if he's going to down screen, McQuaid hits the one. And we said the next time we'll slip it and we'll get it to you in the post because we figured they'd jump out of McQuaid. And it sort of happened that way. And and uh, he made a couple big plays in there, and which he's capable of doing. Um, you know, I get a kick out of you guys. Get after somebody because you're trying to hold them accountable. I don't know what kind of business you're in, but 
I'll tell you what, if I was the head of a newspaper and you didn't do your job, you'd be held accountable. That's the way it is. Got time for one final question. So, Tom, I think you guys were minus six in rebounding at halftime. Ended up, I think you were plus 15 in the second half in rebounding. How did you make that happen? How did they get, how did, uh, how, which players allowed that to happen for you? I imagine some challenging went on. No, no, no. We went in the halftime. We had a love fest. We all kind of gathered around. We hugged each other and said, listen, it's okay, guys, that we, we got out rebounded by a smaller team. Uh, you know, it's okay, but if we could find a way to do a little better job, it would probably help us win. And that's what we did, to be honest with you. Thank you very much, Coach. Again, the locker room's open for another 15 What's the thing about coaches that somebody maybe doesn't know anything about? What's the thing you can tell them to kind of explain what It's hard to see how much he cares, especially as a freshman not knowing that much. When you stick around and when you go through some of the experiences that I've been through so far as a player, even as a freshman still, the games that I've been through and the stuff that he's done behind closed doors, it's hard to see it's like, so when you get something like that, it makes it that much easier to say because you see why he's saying it, you see why he does it. Just saying the why, saying the why is huge for a lot of people. Because you get the sense that he cares about you. Absolutely, without a doubt. He does nothing but advocate you as a, as a wonderful person, a better basketball player, just a better man. That's not, that's not the he wants for you, but that. Can you give an example, maybe something without crying too much, something that he might have done behind the scenes? To, to, to give you the impression that he cared. Uh, just the whole Arnie injury, for one. You know how he was grieving about that, and how all, all of our teammates were over him, just kind of like upset that he was hurt. You know, just seeing him emotional, almost crying like that, it just shows you that's that's not a show. Like, no, Arnie's been through a lot. So I'm sorry, Kyle's been through a lot. You know, and just to see him like that, and just in other other moments like that, it's just man, like it's second to none how much he cares. So, I mean, even on senior night when, when, when Kenny and Matt came off the court, he was emotional with them. It just shows you how much that he cares, no matter how much he yells at you. Like, it's a method behind this madness. I'm all, I'm all for it. Thank you. I spoke about Tom Izzo last night on the show. It was not a surprise to see it become a talking point on shows and on social media. This isn't about snowflakes or being soft. It is about a gigantic problem we have not only allowed to happen in society, but go out of our way to ensure gets worse. People seem to have a real issue when they're held accountable or if others are too harshly. We're so concerned with if anyone has had their feelings hurt that we lose sight of this fact. Life has a scoreboard. The world will be difficult and we do nobody any favors when we coddle them to the point that they never hear criticism or hear a harsh word or have to face any adversity. Because when nobody in a job interview or negotiation stops to ask about your feelings and then you don't get the job or you don't get the contract, what are you going to do? Demand the world stop being mean to you? The college admission scandal is a great example of this. They say you should prepare your kids for the path, not the path for your kids. You cannot eliminate every challenge or adversity they might face. Because if you do, what have you accomplished? We're so concerned with safe spaces and not saying mean things that when a coach gets on a player, it's seen by some of you as out of bounds. And that is insane to me. Is that the only way to get your point across? No, you can go about it differently. But you notice who didn't have a problem with it? Michigan State. Did you notice what seniors Cassius Winston and Matt McQuay did? They told Izzo, we got this. Because they have a voice. They've been empowered in a family dynamic that occasionally gets volatile. Because there's a scoreboard and they're trying to win. You know who else didn't have a problem with it? The freshman who was getting the what for, Aaron Henry. His social media, as well as the accounts of past Spartans like Miles Bridges and Draymond Green and countless other Spartans, gave insights into why they didn't and don't have a problem with it. 
but that doesn't matter to people who don't really want context. They just want to be mad and be offended. So be good and mad about how Tom Izzo yelled at his players. His players, past and present, have a rare loyalty to him. He doesn't have a transfer problem. He has the opposite, a bunch of four-year guys, the overwhelming majority of whom have gotten to Final Fours in part because of being held accountable the way he holds them accountable. You don't like it? Fine. Don't send your kid there. But stop being offended by things that don't concern you because they're not. <laughs> I love that. When I started seeing that in the news when it happened way back in March, I, I just was blown away, one, by the, the maturity of Aaron Henry um, as a 19-year-old, to see it that way and understand it that way. But the thing that hit me was, what if the church could capture that kind of accountability? What if the church could capture this where you heard um, Aaron Henry talk about it in there. He said, um, it's, it's, he, we know he loves us. He, we know he cares. We know he's, he's advocating for us. He's trying to make us to be the best basketball player we can be. And so I'm all for it. It makes it that much easier. And so we see like there's this huge trust and understanding of caring and love. We see obviously they have honest conversations, right? And I don't think we need to sit around connect group and, like, and just yell at each other, right? But, but, but accountability, in this sense, is a good thing. They had mutual goals. We, we want to win a championship. We want to do this. And I thought about it, and, and I'm like, you know, that healthy accountability is there. Um, but, but this is basketball. It made me think about the Tower of Babel when God looks and he sees that they're building this tower. He sees that they're unified, united with a common goal in mind. And he says, together, there's nothing that they can't do. So he scrambled the languages. If, if, if we can do that, and basketball can... can, can you know, win championships and go to the next level and do all of that, and we have the truth and the Holy Spirit, what can God not do through his people? We've got, we've got so much more, and, and I, I love to win championships as much as anybody, I promise. But it's so much bigger, it's so much better. But we all need to be in these relationships. And listen, for some of you, be praying, pray. God, put someone in my life like this. Be looking for someone. You know, just wait. I want them to knock on the door and they're standing there. But be looking, praying, letting God lead you to these people. Get in a connect group if you're not in one. And listen, here's the truth. If you tried one and you didn't like it, it just didn't fit, try another one. There's a lot of weird people in our church. And here's the truth. You were probably weird to them. So you need to go find people who are your kind of weird, right? So try again. And, and don't give up on this because this is necessary. This is needed. My goodness, I, I know the goals. Like I want to grow closer to God. So hold me accountable. Ask me the tough questions. Challenge me. Because I sincerely want to get there. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for your love for us, God, that we can trust you. I thank you, God, that you surrounded us with people, Lord, who love you. Pray for each person here that they would be able to find at least one person to walk in this kind of relationship, a transformative relationship with you and each other. 
God, I pray you would set your heart, your goals, your will in our hearts and minds. And that, God, we would pursue it if it means honest, difficult conversations. If it's going to mean sacrifice, God, we know that, God. But I pray that we would desire the goal so much that we wouldn't flinch away from the sacrifice. We love you, God, and thank you for all you do in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good week.